Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. So Steve, your dad was never in your life growing up. How did you understand that as a kid? I suppose I, I didn't. It was hard to understand. I seeing other kids with their dad around and I was massive into sport. So seeing dads out kicking footy with kids and with their kids, yeah, it was tough. But then I didn't know any other way. So we grew up with our grandparents. That was normal to us. It wasn't really until later in life, I suppose, and having kids of my own, it really sort of hit me more. What do people tell you about your dad when you were a kid? The only thing I would really hear is, don't speak to your dad. He's not a good guy. That was basically, I was told how to feel about him or what to think about him. We did connect later on in life after my grandmother passed away. Um, and I had sort of a life's kind of too short sort of thing. So we connected there for a little bit. But yeah, it was always like a taboo topic. We didn't talk about him. We didn't really know anything about him other than he had an affair and left. When he did leave, I was only two. Chris, my brother, wasn't born yet when he left. I was apparently quite attached to him. Uh, when he left, I was quite stressed and lost my hair. And yeah, it was a it was a troubling time, I suppose. I don't recall it, but we were told not to talk to him. Basically. In the years to come, how did not having him around affect the way that you saw yourself as a boy and then growing into a man? Was it something that you were conscious of much of the time or not till later in life? Teenage days, there was a lot of you're not worthy. Those sorts of feelings would come in. If your own dad can't love you and hang around and get to know you, then why would anyone else want to sort of thing? Having been told that your dad was no good for your whole life and the reason why he wasn't around, did you always swear to yourself that you wouldn't be like him? Yep, 100%. Uh, that was my main thing growing through adulthood. And then having kids, I was always like, I'll never be like him, I'll never do what he did, and pretty much took the exact same path. Apart from having an affair, I didn't have an affair, but I had two kids to two separate women and wasn't with either of them. So there was a similar path playing out. And were you conditioned to hate him as a young person? Like, did you feel that resentment towards him or was it just an emptiness? There was, I suppose at different stages, all of those sorts of feelings. It was a good 20 years where we didn't speak at all. You know, I was probably five or six maybe, and then the contact completely cut off. So it wasn't until, so my son was probably one, he's 11 now, there was a good, yeah, 15 to 20 years where we just didn't speak at all until I reached out. It was a very superficial relationship from from then, to be honest. So who taught you how to be a man? No one, really. And that's no disrespect to my grandpa because he was around a lot. Um, we grew up with him. You know, I never had anyone to teach me how to shave. No one ever spoke to me about sex or any of those conversations that any kid needs to have growing up. I've winged it a lot. I suppose you would say. Probably bosses. 
I'd be drawn to them and kind of take some guidance off them, really. So how did not having that guidance there through your whole young life contribute to the feelings within you, whether that be being lost or being bitter or being unsure of your place in the world? Did that play a major part in the way you saw yourself? Yeah, 100%. To be honest, it wasn't until I uh, met my partner now. We have a daughter together. Um, it wasn't until I met my partner that I really started to look at things differently. You know, she'd done a lot of work on herself mentally and, you know, anxiety and all sorts of things like that, which I suppose she saw, you know, things in me that were sort of red flags, maybe, so to speak. So it wasn't until, yeah, really later on in life, leading up to basically when I had a breakdown in uh, 2019, that I really started to look at habits and what I was doing and the course of my life, I suppose. Because you lost your best mate to suicide as a young person as well and that had a massive effect on your life. Can you talk about that relationship? Yeah, 2008, my best mate Geordie took his own life. That was, uh, that was a pretty brutal time. I was away working in Sydney at the time. I'd actually got a call from him. I was at a pub with a few other few workmates and got a call from him and it was just kind of a frantic message and I just couldn't, couldn't decipher, work out what he was trying to say. So I said, hey man, I'll give you a call back later. Not long after, got a text, this really weird text. And for life of me, I cannot remember what it said, but it was all in capitals. And it was, I just remember the tone was aggressive and it was just really weird. Um, and so that was the last contact we had. I never called him back, which is something that's really weighed on me for a long time. And I don't know whether that would have changed things, whether it would have saved his life or what, but for a long time, I blame myself. You know, that was a pretty heavy, heavy burden to carry. How were you able to come to terms with that and accept that wasn't your fault in any way? For a long time, I didn't. I, I started with a lot of drug use and drinking. So it was 2008, um, I'm 36 now. So yeah, what's that? 14 years ago, so yeah, 22. You know, and, and being away for work in a real drinking culture wasn't a good place to be. You know, I probably should have left and come back home and try to sort things out. But um, eventually when we did come home a few weeks, I came back for the funeral and then went back. And the drinking just, you know, I think there was like an 18 day streak where we just went out every night drinking and not just drinking, but getting quite drunk. Did you know why you were doing um, it and that you just couldn't begin to deal with the pain that you were feeling or? Not. Yeah, I think it was not, it was just trying to push it to the side, push it away. Growing up, I, I didn't speak about anything, any of my emotions, you know, all of it was bottled up, which is probably what led to the breakdown, to be fair. Were you told to do that as well, or you just weren't told what to do? Um, no, I wasn't told, wasn't, wasn't taught that, it wasn't modelled. Um, yeah, and maybe you felt like you didn't have someone necessarily to go and say those things too from what i heard about you and your brother's story yep. you were quite close with your grandparents and they were very good to you and you learned a lot from your grandfather yep. but perhaps you didn't feel like you had that close personal relationship where you had that maybe that nurturing influence where you could say whatever you wanted or yeah 100 percent um it wasn't yeah i know and look occasionally you know there were hugs from mum but we weren't we weren't an open communicating family um so, yeah, I didn't really have, you know, a, and even even after after Geordie's death, yeah. So 
um, the the following weeks, there wasn't really anyone to talk to. I didn't feel like there was anyone to talk to. I didn't feel safe enough. I suppose that's probably a good word to open up and you know explain how I was feeling. Did you even know that that was something you should do or that it would help? Because I think yeah. perhaps if you've never done it before in your life and you've never experienced that degree of shock and pain um, and that talking about it with past situations hasn't been part of your coping mechanism, then you wouldn't even think that, oh yeah, obviously I should share it, I should speak about how I'm feeling, I should bring other people into this because that hasn't served you in the past as far as you know. So would you even think of doing that? Yeah, 100%. So there weren't other friends of yours that also knew him that were going through something similar? Was it the case that you just withdrew from everyone at that time? Yeah, definitely withdrew. Sorry, the one thing I was going to say was, you know, I was always told time heals all wounds. But whilst things get easier, nothing heals unless you process it and you go through it and you really feel it and you let it out in a healthy way. That yeah. that wasn't taught to us. That wasn't modelled. No disrespect to mum because she was she did the best with what she had. It just wasn't built into us to be emotionally intelligent, I suppose, if that's the right word, to express feelings and that all feelings are okay. It wasn't until really later in life that, um, and probably, it probably wasn't until having my daughter, which she's only five now, that I really started to process things. I, I remember my, my mate picking me up from the airport after Geordie died. I said to him, it's my fault. I could have stopped it. I didn't stop it. Yeah. Which is the typical, um, the typical thing that people go through, especially if there's something yeah. involved like a message that was sent or a call that wasn't made or something that was yeah. said or wasn't said. It's so hard to not put the, the onus on ourselves and say, well, I could have realistically changed this situation. Yeah. I went through that myself. Like when my friend died by suicide, he was, he'd moved interstate, so he was isolated in another state and I'd been yeah. working away for a number of years and our relationship was a lot of talking on the phone at length for hours at a time and he'd tell me more than he'd tell most people but I had no idea it was as bad mm. as it was like because I just had never seen that before in my life you wouldn't even think of it until it happens and then you see signs and hindsight and then you see yeah. it in other people and you realize it but before you're taught to see it and what that looks like and that it can actually happen it's not something that you would even think about in the first place absolutely yeah um, how did you process that after well i went like fully into shock for the first 24 hours i was actually working at the time as a news reporter and i got the news on the phone and i was halfway through my shift and in shock i was set on finishing the shift like my brain was like oh well i'll just finish mm. this story i'm doing and then about half an hour later i was just like fully broke down because i just yeah, mm. it's quite a unique experience. So unlike anything else where it's like, wow, like I really can't control these feelings that I'm having right now. Yeah. And luckily it was with uh, one of my friends who's a cameraman who drove me home. And the whole rest of that day, just I remember just being well beside myself and just vacant. And then also Numb. realized how many people f experience shock when something devastating happens and how my job as a news reporter involved a lot of getting people to say things at that time that they otherwise wouldn't say and so that that fed into my not wanting to be a news reporter anymore ultimately as well but yeah for yeah. me i think it was it was typical experience of grief 
which they talk about it coming in waves where initially it's mm. so overwhelming that you can't see anything else and then it slowly dissipates over time but it's still there now i'll hear a song or i'll see a, a photo or be reminded of him or someone will say something or i don't know you just pop into my head and might shed a tear randomly or i always mm. still have the thought of i can't believe that he's still gone it still shocks me that fact it was the first time in my life it showed fully the impermanence of life and we know that we get old and we all die but when someone who's young who's not meant to die and they die so brutally like that it's a whole other thing yeah it still shocks me about death that it's so permanent and final and one decision and that's all she wrote i try to reframe the story around it now and when i do think about my friend i see it as a a positive thing and I try to embody some of his best qualities and the fact that it still makes me emotional I see is a beautiful thing because he had that impact on my life and I just choose yeah. to see it that way but I totally relate to you in that yes yeah, it's just like mental health generally it's not like you're cured of pain or uh, it just it all fades away you never think about it yeah. again that's not what life is time it makes it easier and you don't feel that initial gut-wrenching pain and the sickness and the horrible feelings around that at the time. Like, what would things be like now, you know, if he was still here, you know, would he have kids? And it's those sorts of things. It's like he missed out on so much that he should have, he should have got to see, you know? Yeah. How do you deal with your grief around that loss now? I mean, obviously that was over a decade ago. A lot of time has passed, but what do you think now when you reflect on your friend or when you have similar memories or thoughts. He was a passionate Collingwood supporter. So anytime Collingwood was doing well, you know, I sort of have a look, I follow Carlton. So we had a big rivalry yeah. and he, all he wanted to do was see Collingwood win a flag. Carlton was supposed to hate Collingwood, but you know, I've got a soft spot for Collingwood. So, um, you know, I was I pretty happy when that, they won mate. the flag. I can't <laughs> <that>. <laughs> you Carlton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice yeah. one, good man. Um, I was happy for him, you know, but he didn't get to see it. And there's just the in-jokes that we, you know, you have. You just, that's what I've got in my head that no one knows. Sometimes I'll just be, I'll probably I'll be around the house and just giggling to myself and my partner's probably like, what the hell are you laughing at? Yeah. But just little memories that... Such a lasting yeah, impact, isn't it? Like even, yeah. even years and years and years after someone passes away, they still, mm. they really do live on in you in a very... Lion King sort yeah. of a way. Yeah, absolutely. I um my son's middle name is actually Geordie, so oh, that's cool. a good little you know, when I see that written down, that's that's pretty cool too. Yeah. So from the age of twenty two when you sort of lent into that self destruction and you were bottling up those feelings and just trying to get away from it all, how long did that sort of denial behaviour go on and when did you get to the point where you actually said okay enough is enough this isn't working i need to try to do something different it was on and off until 2019 really when i had a breakdown i walked out of my family so you're talking like 10 years of like just yeah not dealing with it and drugs yeah. and drinking on and off drug use on and off drinking it was quite heavy for a while the drug use and the drinking and i i couldn't go out without it there's lots of other things that built up you know all little things that just fill your cup and then it overflows and it's just like there's nothing you can do but realize this has got to change you know it's destructive behavior and when you were doing it for all those years did you put it down to 
not having processed some of those feelings and, and things that had happened to you or you didn't think of it that way? Like how did you justify it in your head or rationalize it? Did you think, oh, this is fun, this is what I need to do in order to enjoy my life or escape my reality? What was driving that? Suppressing all the emotions, yeah. You know, if I'd started, if I had a couple of bad days or I was feeling it, I would withdraw, not talk to anyone. Then it was like, all right, I got to get out of this. Um, let's go on a bender. I was also working in the music industry for a while. So that was like traveling Australia for free. And there was drugs and alcohol. Yeah. It was everywhere. So you were you enabling know? yourself pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and at the time I was tour managing. So I was the one that was supposed to be leading and directing. And I was the one going, guys, let's get a bag. Let's get wasted. You didn't think you were like the life of the party guy. Like you were looking for other people to enable you because you didn't want to be left alone with your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, once I got on the gear, I was the life of the party, but generally quite a reserved. So did you, myself did, you, did you like yourself when you would get on it or not? When I was on it, yeah, yeah. Felt confident, funny, free, but then off it, nah, I hated myself, you know? Yeah, and so you're just caught in that cycle of, yep. of the up and down of it all and I guess yep, maybe feeling some pretty low self-esteem a lot of the time mm. um, and perhaps yep. like not wanting to face that you still felt like you had to get on drugs to be okay with yourself which is very common, yeah. but yeah, sort of keeps you in this yo-yo though, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was like, and, and the other thing as well, um, you know, if I was on the gear or I was, or I was, you know, wildly drunk, you know, I would, I would find someone and have those deep conversations that I wanted to have. Yeah. I felt confident to express m what emotions I was feeling and mm. drunken conversations, crying and whatever. And that's but probably what you actually really like, wanted. That's what you actually yep, wanted. Yep. What you were chasing was feeling like you could open up and talk like that. And that's where you got that satisfaction from. Yep. What else was happening in your life with relationships? And you had your first kid when you were like 25, didn't you? Yeah, 25, had my first kid, my son. Could not wait for my son to come. We could not wait to have him. Like, we were so pumped. But we had no idea what we were doing. And when he was born, first couple of days, all right, I'm at home by myself, partner's still in the hospital. And those first few nights were just horrible. Like, I hated it so much. It was so hard. We had no idea what we were doing. Was it just sort of washing over you how immense this whole thing was that you'd gotten yourself yeah. into? The responsibility, just how hard it was, you know, no sleep. And then you've still got to care for someone on nothing. You're like, you're empty. And I had quite severe postnatal depression, which I didn't know was the thing for males. It wasn't until years later. I was like, you know, I heard men can have postnatal depression. I was mm. like, like fuck, fuck i had that i hated my life i i didn't and i and i still remember a couple of times saying i'd rather just die like this is horrible i hate it because you felt like you were trapped in that reality now yeah yeah i suppose going to work was great for me because i got a break my partner did at the time and she was struggling too and you know we were young she was only 22 or 23 at the time too yeah we just had no idea what we were doing and we were struggling we both spiraled yeah we just we, we felt trapped yeah for sure and that relationship was pretty chaotic for a number of years with you guys splitting up and then getting back together and like what impact did that have on your mental health and the drinking and stuff as well so when blake was almost two we separated and then tried again for a little bit but 
it just didn't work. We we're still living together when we weren't together. And there was just things that were happening around that that just weren't, just wasn't ideal. So the drinking at that time wasn't, I wouldn't drink too much, but it was more the, the horrible eating. I put on a lot of weight. Yeah, just eating my feelings. So you're sort of always scrambling for coping mechanisms, it sounds like, yep. through your life as you were going through these challenges because you hadn't been taught healthy ways yep. of dealing with things and sort of going from one thing to the next, just trying to push the pain away and then yeah. having to deal with the consequences of that. So then you're getting into your late 20s. I believe you had another child. Yeah. But then you so were still living at I'll, home at that time. Yeah, so... My partner, who I'm with now, Amber, it's been yeah, quite a quite a journey we've had along the way. We've separated several times. And so I would have been 30 when my daughter was born. That really softened me a lot. Yeah, I started to maybe look at things differently and, and, and realise how not so great of a parent I'd been. Because to this point, were you often blaming other people a lot for your situation? Yeah, I always blame. Yeah. Yeah, I was a massive blamer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was never my fault. <laughs> you know, I was fine. You yeah, know, I had no issues, no mental issues, nothing. Like I was good. Always blaming other people, hundred percent. What triggered you to start to actually address that and realize that everywhere you went, it seemed like things sort of went wrong, and that perhaps that was a reflection of you and what was going on with you. So that was after the last separation, which was early two thousand and nineteen. I snapped one morning over the tiniest little thing, and then walked out and and I I know I didn't go home for seven months. It was through that and starting to eat a lot better, getting into meditation, daily practice of like swimming and just looking after myself. And it was mm. sort of like I've never done any of this sort of stuff regularly. And of course I wasn't okay. dealing, yeah. coping, you know. So what sort of difference did that um, make once you started doing those healthy things and how did you notice your emotional state change? Oh massively, yeah. I uh started to feel a hell of a lot more confident and more aware of my emotions, I suppose. Yeah. Did you go and get help? I've been to many different counselors, psychs. I feel like I, I was getting more on the work I was doing myself outside of those sessions. I was getting more from that. And even a psych I was seeing, all he wanted to do was write me scripts for medication. And that yeah. was one thing I personally didn't want to take because I, I was seeing signs of things improving without that. So I didn't feel like that was something I wanted to take or needed to take that. And he sort of said to me, look, I think you're doing pretty good. And with what you're doing, I don't feel like I'm honestly helping you that much, to be fair. And another counsellor I had had before that, and I don't blame this person, but looking back on it now, was saying some things to me that were pretty unprofessional. Yeah, uh, I had that and, as well, actually with a yeah. psychologist that I went to see about my friend's death. And then I remember yeah. on the um, second session, he said that reincarnation is a proven fact. And yeah, okay. uh, I was like, it's probably a bit of a long bow to draw on that one. Yeah, but yeah. it is, um, <laughs> we know the average to find a, a therapist that you click with is like somewhere between four and six. Like it's not that easy to just find someone straight away yeah. that you want to speak to. For yeah. men, especially once you do, pluck up the courage to go in and, and then talk and then open up and then have that not be returned to you in the way that you were hoping. It can make us shut up again and, and, yeah. and perhaps never go back and get help again. And talking yeah. to psychologists these days through the show, like Zach Seidler at Movember, he says that there's a lot more men accessing services 
in the first place now, which is a great thing, but it's about getting that mm. retention rate up because yeah. us men, whether it's seeking help through a psychologist or just about anything, I think if it doesn't work the first time, we have a propensity to be like, oh, well, like, that's not for no, me, no, I guess. Tried. Yep, I guess <laughs> I did everything I could and uh, yeah, too bad. Yeah. So that's yeah. sort of part of the battle now. A mate of mine, Shane's got a great saying that you say you love pizza and your favorite pizza job closes down, you're not going to give up on pizza, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a good way to put you gotta it. you got to find another place. you got to do that with counselors and psychs and you can't give up. It's almost like starting a relationship. you got to have that connection. If you don't have that connection, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. you got to go out and keep trying, you know? Yeah. And so did you keep doing that or what got you back to a point where you felt like you could sort of put your life back together? I did see a couple more after that. And the connection was there with the last one, but trying to be real blokey and matey and that's not what I was looking for. Right. You know? yeah, so, yeah. And then the pandemic pandemic happened and it was like, you know, I don't want to do it online. I prefer face-to-face sort of thing. So yeah, it's just been more the stuff outside, doing myself, meditation and journaling every day, you know, eating right. Just At being... what point was there this shift, I imagine, because like you've been out of home for seven months and in that time yeah. you gave yourself a kick up the ass and turned things around and did what you needed to do and obviously your mental state and your emotional state changes so yeah. at what point were you able to look back and go hang on I was pretty unreasonable before I think and I guess I, I would have come across as scary and a bit of a dick and how quickly did that happen and what sort of did you feel guilty about that yeah yeah there was definitely guilt there yeah, I felt quite embarrassed and ashamed of how I'd been. My actions, the way I'd spoken to my partner and even my kids. The actual moment that snapped me was Danny Frawley's funeral and hearing Wayne Schwoss's speech. And it was like he was speaking to me. That was pivotal for me in turning things around. And um, what's the gist of that that's resonated with you? You know, we all know someone that's struggling and doesn't want to speak up and doesn't want to talk. And then it's okay to speak and, you know, to to speak up and speak about your feelings and to seek help, to want to improve. So that's the general gist of that. So that was like, you got to change. you got to do things to repair relationships that you've ruined, basically. Yeah, it's powerful how someone just speaking about their own experience talking with passion about something like this you never know who's listening to it or who might hear it and mm. it might make a difference to them like, as it did in your case it's just so powerful in those seven months what was it like to see yourself repeating those mistakes that your dad had made and that had played such a big role in, in your world and you swore you never would and then you were doing it how did that shape the way you thought about your dad uh, so we were speaking somewhat at the time quite superficial sort of conversations and that's when I probably started to pull away from him a lot more and he sensed that because he asked me a few times you know what's going on are you okay is everything good and I you know I held off a long time saying I hold a lot of resentment for what happened in the past and all that sort of stuff did you guys Um, ever talk about it like did you ever have those big conversations that you were expecting you would have to have no that's pretty weird isn't it to to have that elephant in the room like that did you try to go there with him or you could just tell that you couldn't i guess it was more my side of not feeling comfortable with bringing it up i suppose and then sort of 
toward the end. Um, so it's probably been two years since we've spoken again. You know, there was some things said about the past and all that sort of stuff. And he was just sort of like, oh, I don't want to go into it. He hasn't had that growth still at his age. You yeah, know? not willing um, to face it. So then you can't grow past mm, it. Yeah, that's right. I don't feel like I would have got much out of him if we had have got into that. So to put it as simply as you can, what changed from you being the guy that no one wanted you to be to you being the family man you are now? Just on that point, I probably, you know, there's still times where I am not holding it together so well. You know, the last two years for everyone's been brutal. We bought a cleaning business two months before the pandemic. We lost everything, you know? We still have the business now, but couldn't get any government support for over a year because we hadn't owned the business for long enough before it started. Is it caught up with me toward the end of last year? Yeah, just so much pressure. Uh, Yeah, and then with our podcast, the topics that I'm speaking about with my brother and I are speaking about with people quite heavy and quite taxing, can be quite taxing mentally. Yeah, Um, for sure. So that was kind of building up. I was not in a good headspace. Intrusive thoughts like, you're not good enough. You know, what's the point? What are you doing? We've got three kids and we're like fucking broke, you know, yeah. to put it yeah. bluntly. Like it all just built up, not being a nice person to be around, you know. I've been rude, abrasive. And in those moments, it's like all the work that I had done previously to to get into a really good headspace, all that stuff I, I wasn't drawing on. I was slipping back into bad eating, drinking again. Yeah, drinking just doesn't just doesn't go well with me. It's something I really need to keep on top of. And the bad eating, it has an effect on my body and mind mentally. It affects how your body functions. You don't feel good and then that means yep. you're not doing the work you should be doing or doing the exercise yep. you should be doing, which also doesn't make you feel good and then affects your self-esteem and how you see yourself and then you take it out on other people. And with mental health being a spectrum and always having to stay on top of yourself and do the right things like that never stops anyone Mm -hmm. is susceptible to it like as long as you are getting enough sleep eating right exercising nurturing your relationships things can continue Mm -hmm. to be as good as they can be but it's very difficult to keep all of that up all the time as all these other things happen to us but we need Mm -hmm. to because if you don't like very quickly and i think we have to have compassion for each other over this if you don't Mm -hmm. keep those things up you're not a bad person you just can very easily fall in a hole and then you got to find a way to dig yourself out of it again. And everyone's going through this to a degree at all times and trying yeah. to act like it's all good all the time or I should have no reason to complain. And some of us are feeling fantastic because we're on a good run of doing everything properly. Even if we're doing that, for most of us and for myself, certainly, things will be going real well. I'll be keeping everything up and then I'll say, well, I'll go out drinking this weekend or I'll have an injury or something. And then you go... Mm one step forward, two steps back again, and then you build up the momentum again, and then something else will happen. And that's just life. But I guess it's like the thing you want is being able to say, well, I know based on past experience that ultimately I have to pull myself up out of this right now. And I can't just wallow in self-pity. That feeds the ego as well, you know, saying like, oh, why me? This is unfair. It's just too much of a problem. I can't fix it. But at the end of the day, like, well, are you going to fix it or not? Because no one's going to come and do it for you. That's exactly right. No one's going to do it for you. You're the only one that can get yourself out of it. You can't rely on other people to make you happy. I was in that if-then kind of mindset, you know, if I get this, then I'll be happy. If we do this, then I'll be happy. It's like it doesn't work like that. You get that thing, 
and then you're like, well, fuck, felt good for a day. And then it's like, well, I need something else now. So what's different for you now when you have these times of things not being easy and wishing things were different in certain ways and having a, a few bad weeks or whatever? How do you pull yourself up out of that? I and mean, what would you say to you know, other people about not only going through big struggles at certain points in your life, but maintaining good mental health throughout and, and being able mm. to continue to, to push on and make the best life possible. Yeah, those moments will come. You'll have a good ride. And look, maybe there's there's people out there that do have a good ride their whole life, but I've never met anyone yet, you know, still. Those moments will come. You know, you'll, you'll do really well for a while and, and something will happen in your life that will throw things, will throw you off. It's going to happen. They're going to come, those moments, for anyone. For me, in those moments when something puts me off, I need to focus on the things that got me to a good mental space, you know, meditation regularly every day, breath work, maintaining my cold therapy, cold showers, ice baths. Journaling is massive for me. You know, I can have a horrible night of thinking and, you know, my mind won't stop racing. And then I get up and get it all out in the morning and write it down. It's like, it's a massive release. You feel lighter. Yeah. Getting it out. So these are simple things that we can do. And you know what yeah. they are, but they require discipline. And yeah. when you're feeling sorry for yourself or you're feeling low, even if you have justification to do so, the last thing you want to mm. do is hard things, even if they're simple, that require discipline. You just want to yeah. sit there and not do anything and just sort of say, fuck. But that just makes yeah. you feel way worse and things get worse. Yeah until you exactly. just are able to implement enough discipline to pull yourself out of it. And then you get on a, a good run again and doing disciplined things is easier all of a sudden, but it just doesn't, you know, yeah. it doesn't stay that way. And that's okay. Like having shit days or shit mm. weeks, that's all right. The goal is not to just be happy 24 seven, 365. That's unrealistic. And without the rain, you can't have the sunshine. You know, you need to be able yeah. to have that light and dark in your life, but you also have to be able to shake yourself and say like, I know why this is happening. My thoughts are leading to these behaviors, which are leading to these outcomes. And it's up to me mm -hmm. to fucking fix that. Control your emotions when things happen. You know, that's the key. And that's what I was struggling to do, you know, after those couple of bad weekends. And little things would set me off. The smallest things that generally wouldn't annoy me. Getting out of the car and dropping my phone, like, yeah. fucking so what, you know? But I'd be like, for fuck's sake, why yeah. me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you were eating well and you just had a good workout and you'd been meditating that morning mm. and you drop your phone, you'd probably just be like, ah, drop the phone. You're much less reactive. You're not just yes. constantly pent up on edge waiting to jump at anything when yeah. you're walking around with that energy your family or people in your life can feel that you're that presence as well and then you don't want to be that yeah. presence and you feel bad about yourself because nah. you know what that feels like when you're around someone like that it's like oh i gotta get out of here like this isn't this doesn't feel good yeah and you don't want to be that no yeah. exactly right which is that's that's been me but at least you have the self-awareness you've yeah. managed to change that a lot in your past and you've got your family back together and you know what you need to do and that's yeah. part of the battle because a lot of the, the problem is men causing problems and then having no idea why that's happening to them and thinking it's everyone else's fault it sounds like at least there's yeah. been a fundamental shift for you where if things aren't going as you would want them to you're able to look at yourself and say well it's probably because of me to a large extent and know that you yeah. have the power to change that as well and that's an important message for people to hear 
Yeah, absolutely. Things can improve. Things can turn around. But you you have to put in the effort. That's the thing. You can't you can't sit around and stay up until midnight every night watching iPad or you know watching Netflix and like and then think you're going to wake up. Especially when you have kids because they don't give a fuck if you're tired. Like they're getting up at six o'clock, six thirty in the morning, and they're yeah. good to go. You got to yeah. get up and you got to do their breakfast and make their lunches and like you don't get a lie-in. It's always going to snowball. The proof's always in the pudding. Yeah and yeah. yeah yeah you might feel good for a week or so and then it's it's gonna unravel yeah you know it's gonna happen yeah and that self-esteem and loving yourself and respecting yourself and looking in the mirror and saying i like that person that's worth everything and you only get mm. that through those disciplined actions through doing the right things through living in alignment with your actual values and if you don't you'll be in pain even if it might feel like mm. the easier option at the time i'm just going to sit on the couch and just numb myself out that feels easier right now but it's not going to get rid of that uneasy feeling within you it's not going to turn you into the person that you want to be you have to take the little more difficult steps all the way along or it's going to end up being a lot harder down the road given that you've had that experience lately how do you go and shake that up again and and say come on steve and be that dad that your kids want to be around yeah and the person that my family and kids deserve you know and the person that i deserve to be too it's maintaining those things i said you know journaling Meditation is so important for me. That first thing in the morning is 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 massive. That starts the day so well for me. I feel calmer getting out of bed. So yeah, it's maintaining that because when I go through that state, I draw back from anyone. You know, I won't answer mates' calls or and these are mates that I know that I can tell them how I'm feeling and speak to them and tell them what's going on and and they will listen to me and hear me and they're the people that I cut off. It, makes no sense and I know it makes no sense and at the time I'm like what are you doing but it's like that self-loathing I'm the only one that feels this and no one else knows how I feel and which is complete bullshit and then the uh the irony of you having a mental health podcast which encourages the opposite behavior man and I I totally relate sometimes I do as I say not as I do sort of thing but you got to forgive yourself as well bro because you're just a man trying to work it out like we all are and you're not perfect and the most important thing is being able to go this isn't working for me i see this pattern that i've repeated before in the past i know how to get out of it and i'm gonna do what needs to be done to make that happen for the people that matter and being able to own up to that and say like hey this is on me i'm not perfect but i can fix it and uh continue to try my best to do the right things that's all you can do man and there's no shame in in not being perfect all the time but we've got to be the ones who are going to remedy the situation and and be supported to do so um so yeah it's great that you're speaking so vulnerably about that sort of stuff and the fact that it's not all perfect now we know we like to act like oh yeah we figured it all out and it's all fine now so you don't have to worry anymore but we also know that's not yeah the that's it yeah yeah like it's a process man it takes time i wasn't brought up like this i never spoke about my emotions or anything like that and it's tough to do it's not something i'm like natural at but i i've seen how much it can help people and i've had random people message me that i never knew had any issues or that were struggling you know that's that makes me feel good about what i'm doing the things that are hard that we don't want to do are the things that we have to do otherwise it's yeah. going to get really hard you know that's, well, yeah exactly and that's where the gold is where we improve and get better so yeah. yeah we can't have enough people doing this you know the mental health field does feel like it's getting flooded but it has to be because there's so much change still to be done nine suicides a day like 75 percent men like that, that's got to change and that's going to hopefully change through these conversations we're having well said man we'll leave it there i can't top that 
That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.